Good morning, everybody. As we come together this morning, I just want to remind us it is always a good day to be able to come together and worship, but I think it's especially good today because we get to jump into a new sermon series together entitled The Holy Overlap. And I'm excited to explore that with you today. So as we get ready to do that, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, this day, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I was thinking and praying about getting ready for this specific sermon series, I came across a story a few weeks ago that to me that was both inspiring and sobering. And I wanted to share that story with you this morning. We have mentioned over the years uh, the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian who was around during the rise of the Nazi regime in the 1940s in Germany. And one of the things about Bonhoeffer that was amazing is that he chose to stay in Germany, continuing to be a professor at a seminary and continuing to pastor a local church, even as the dangers of Nazism began to rise. Eventually, Bonhoeffer became known, especially in Christian circles, for really famous books, books called Life Together, a book called Cost of Discipleship, and a number of others that he's become incredibly well known. But for him to make the choice at the time, despite the danger to stay pastoring a local church and teaching in a seminary, even as the Nazi regime was rising, is an amazing and incredible thing. There's a gentleman named Charles Marsh, and he wrote a book, a biography, about Bonhoeffer called Strange Glory. And in that book, he tells this story. He says, a friend of Bonhoeffer's had come to the seminary where Bonhoeffer was teaching. It was a super intense time. The Nazi regime was increasing its efforts, and things were super intense, so intense that the friend began insinuating to Bonhoeffer, maybe he should leave. Maybe he should get out while he could. To which Bonhoeffer's response was this. He took his friend, they got in a boat, they rowed across a river to where Hitler was training soldiers. Bonhoeffer stood up in his boat and he pointed to where those soldiers were being trained. And then he said this. He said this. This, what we are doing at the seminary, has to be stronger than that, what Hitler is doing with his army. We have to raise up a generation of Christians whose formation is stronger than that. Then they rode back across the river. I love that sentiment. We must raise up a generation of Christians whose faith formation is stronger than the world's formation. I just picture that scene with Bonhoeffer and his friends, so powerful, so prophetic. It's so easy to think, what possible chance of success does this little ragtag band of disciples have against Hitler and his army and his empire? I mean, who won in the long run? Initially, Bonhoeffer's seminary was shut down. Uh, nearly half the professors who were at that seminary signed allegiance to Hitler. 
A number of those professors ended up dying themselves. Bonhoeffer himself died in an execution camp, a concentration camp of Hitler's. It didn't look so good. But fast forward 70 years. Today, it is Bonhoeffer's books that are read and that are an example for generations of Christians. In fact, his books have influenced millions of Christians around the world. Today, Bonhoeffer is considered a hero. Hitler's regime is no more. It is gone, crushed, wiped away. The German church today is deeply repentant of all that occurred in relation to Hitler. In fact, the, the country of Germany has paid billions in reparations to the country of Israel. There is shame in the German culture about what happened. And again, Hitler's army gone, but the formation of those Christ followers continues. Whose formation was stronger? I love how a gentleman named John Tyson puts it. He says, it's about potency, not size. It's the potency of our faith formation that makes all the difference. And so I wanna ask us today, church, how potent is our faith? And reflecting upon Bonhoeffer's life, it makes me wonder, how did he do that? How did he have the conviction, the certitude, the courage to pursue life and beauty despite these incredible odds and the evil forces of the Nazi regime? Where did his potency come from? And part of the answer, I think, is the focus of this particular sermon series. Bonhoeffer recognized what any Christian who follows Christ knows and understands, that there is a holy overlap between this world and the kingdom of God, and that our call as followers of Christ is to live into that holy overlap. Bonhoeffer lived in the formation found in the overlap between the kingdom of God and our world. And that, I believe, is what allowed him to persevere. It did not protect him from difficulty or struggles. It did not make his life easy, but it did allow him to live in the light of eternity, which begins right here and right now. The recognition of this holy overlap allowed Bonhoeffer to live in the reality that Jesus himself would talk about to live in this world, but not be of this world. I lift this up today, church, because we are again in a time when it can seem like the problems out there are greater than the beauty and the truth and the grace found right here in the life of Christ. We live in a time, again, when it might seem like things like prayer, worship, generosity. It might seem like those type of things are ineffective. We may wonder what good do those things do in a world right now filled with various forms of oppression through divisive forces of racism or politics or poverty or injustice or a pandemic. What good do prayer and generosity and all those things do? Well, this sermon series is all about what is real. It is about defining reality. It is a call to the power of authentic discipleship. It is a call to remind us that we are part of the kingdom of God and that God's kingdom begins right here and right now. It is a call to live into the holy overlap of the, call of the overlap between heaven and earth, God's kingdom and this world. It is a call to formation, to be formed more in the image of Jesus Christ rather than warped into the image of our culture. 
And it is a call to say that what we do here and now as the body of Christ has the potential to be stronger than what the rest of the world says. When we live into this holy overlap, we discover a grounding for a formation of holy living, even in unholy and difficult places. We discover hope in the midst of choking despair. We discover grace in the midst of the loudness of the voices of hate around us. And we discover fortitude in the midst of great weariness. I've shared with you in the past that I had the privilege in our conference of sitting on something called the Board of Ordained Ministry, or BOOM for short. And I actually get to sit on the theology section. In fact, I chaired the theology section for our conference. Why in the world do I do that? Here's one big reason why. It is my belief and my conviction that our theology undergirds everything else. If we do not have an appropriate theology grounded in God's holy word in scripture, it doesn't really matter what else we do. No matter how eloquent a speaker we are, our sermons will be ineffective without God's good theology. It doesn't matter how great a Bible program we offer or put together, it will be ineffective without God's good theology. And no matter what leadership skills we have, ultimately they'll be about self-glorification rather than God-glorification if we don't live into a faithful understanding of theology based on scripture. This sermon series is about digging into God's word and having our theology formed in such a way to understand that the kingdom of God begins here and now. And we wanna figure out how to live into the holy overlap between the kingdom of God and this world. Now, just so you know, if you think this is just going to be some theological exercise that has no bearing on my life or how I live, that is absolutely not true. In fact, you could not be more wrong if that's what you might be thinking. We have to realize that a life lived in this formation of the holy overlap has everything to do on how we live and experiencing God's kingdom here and now, just like it did for Bonhoeffer. To begin to understand this, we have to understand as followers of Jesus, that we are a holy overlap people, and we have to understand why are we a holy overlap people. So to understand some of this why of how we're a holy overlap people, we have to go back to the beginning, the very beginning, creation. So do me a favor, wherever you might be, I wanna ask you to just do this little exercise with me. Take your hands, and I want you to put one hand on one elbow and one hand on your other elbow, kind of like this. And let's just say for a moment that your right hand represents the kingdom of God and your left hand represents this world. Let's do a little uh, review of history here for a moment. When God made the Garden of Eden all the way back in Genesis, the beginning of creation, God did it so that the kingdom of God and this world were directly overlapped. They were meant to exist in harmony with one another and this is how God intended it to be. It was literally heaven on earth. There was a direct overlap of the two. In fact, they coexisted just like this. But then we know that sin entered the picture. The fall entered the picture with Adam and Eve. And when that happened, there was a breaking, a separation from the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. They were no longer one. And what the Bible tells us is that eventually in the book of Revelation, the very end of scripture, the Bible says eventually we'll get back to this, where heaven and earth, the kingdom of God and this world are one again. But we're not there yet. Instead, we are at this in-between place where God's kingdom is present, 
but it's not fully realized yet because not all of God's creation has been restored. And so today we don't have this and we don't have this. What do we have? If you would do me a favor, clasp your hands like this or what I like to do, put them together like this and meshed with each other as it were. This is what we have today. To understand what's happening here, and again, it's this overlap between the two, not completely apart, not fully overlap. To understand what's happening, go back once again to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, we had this. But remember, a holy God cannot exist in the presence of sin, and so this went to this. It was no longer possible for the two to be fully overlapped. Why? Because God is holy and just and can't be in the presence of brokenness. However, God had a plan to eventually get us back to this. And one of the first places of reunion that was gonna allow for this overlap between God and humanity or the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world happened in this thing called temples. Now you might be a little bit familiar with the idea of temples. Uh, we've talked about this some in recent weeks. In the biblical world, one of the ways you experience God on earth, at least in the Old Testament, is you went to these things called temples. A temple was a place where there was designated holy space for God to exist and you could go and be there and be close to the presence of God. Now, before there were temples, there was a precursor of something called a tabernacle. And again, hopefully we're a little bit familiar with this because we spent a fair amount of time talking about tabernacles. Uh, a tabernacle was a portable tent in which the divine dwelled among the people. And there were signs that when God was present, there would be a cloud upon it or smoke upon it, indicating that God was present in the tabernacle. And it was portable, so wherever the people moved, the tabernacle could go as well. But the whole point of the tabernacle was it was a place for God to dwell and specifically dwell among God's people. It allowed for the holy to be among the unholy. Ever so slightly, this little bit of overlap as a holy God could be in the presence of these unholy people, at least in a spe special and peculiar way. So it began with the tabernacle, but later on, they moved from a portable tabernacle to the building of a permanent temple. And in this permanent temple, they created something called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, it was a space where animal sacrifices could be offered to atone for the brokenness and sin of humanity, thus creating a clean zone of sorts where God could then be in the presence of no sin or no brokenness. And it was literally a way of bringing heaven onto earth. But here was the thing. In this holy of holies, in this temple that you had to travel to, the only ones who would really get a sense of the overlap between heaven and earth were the high priests. Because only the high priest could enter into this space and only once a year could a high priest enter into this holy of holy places where there was this overlap of the holiness of God and the kingdom of this world. And so we have a temporary solution where God at a, liminal, a little bit of a level could, could be present and this overlap happens. But again, only the high priest could even experience this. It was super limited. The average person could not just go walking into the Holy of Holies and experience the holy overlap that we're talking about today. So what is God's solution? So that it's not just the high priests who can experience this overlap of holiness. God switches from a tabernacle to a temple to finally 
sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that this holy overlap could be experienced not just by a high priest, but by everyone, by you and me experiencing the holiness of God here and now. And this is how it's described in the book of John, the gospel of John. And I love this verse. Chapter one, verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The word being referenced here is Jesus. In the Greek, it's the term logos, divine, holy Jesus. He moves into the neighborhood, which means he's moving into our world. And when Jesus does that, he brings the kingdom of God right here on earth. And as we talked a little bit last week, this idea of him moving into the neighborhood, the word used here is a word for dwell. And more specifically, it's the word for tabernacle. So Jesus is tabernacling, dwelling, coming into this place where God, through him, is bringing God's holy kingdom among us here on earth. If you remember from last week as well, this idea of tabernacle, they would literally go tenting, moving from spot to spot to set up the tabernacle so that God's presence could dwell among the people. We could almost say then that God's rescue plan involved a form of a camp out, as it were. So Jesus came to tent here, to dwell here, to take up residence here, just like God did in the Old Testament, except now through Jesus, the tabernacling, the dwelling, the place of the holy overlap, it's going to be available not just for uh, all of, uh, for the holy priest, but now it's going to be available for everybody. And how is this the case? How does Jesus provide a way for this holy overlap for all of us and not just the high priests? Think about this. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is described as a temple. If you look in John chapter 2, verse 19, he's described as temple. At the same time, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 29, Jesus is also described as the temple sacrifice, which means Jesus is simultaneously the sacrifice needed for atonement, for the wiping away of sin in our world, and he is the space where holiness can reside. He is simultaneously creating a way to wipe away sin and creating a space in which to dwell. And in doing that, Jesus creates a space of holy overlap where the brokenness is pushed away and God and holiness can reside. Jesus is the living temple, the place where holy overlap can occur. And you know what that means? That means if Jesus lives within us, if Jesus dwells within us, then we become temples of sorts as well where God dwells, which means we become places of holy overlap. We become this because of Christ within us. Think about that for a moment. That is powerful. That is amazing. That, that means like Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that we are saved and we welcome Christ into our being, into our souls, we become places of holy overlap where God's light shines in the midst of even the greatest darkness, where God's beauty shines even in the midst of greatest ugliness. So that when we pray things like the Lord's Prayer and we say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, where? 
on earth as it is in heaven, that occurs within us to be these places of holy overlap, to bring the kingdom of God here and now on earth. It means heaven is not just a nice place to get to after we die on this earth. It is a way to bring heaven to earth right here and right now. Again, think about that. That's a powerful thing. The resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same resurrection power that lives in you and I now, which allows us to live into this holy overlap and share God's love and grace and beauty in the world in which we live. This is phenomenal. Think about this. This means that we're not just hoping to get to heaven someday. We experience it now and not just for us for the people in this world. If Jesus lives within us, then this reality of the holy overlap is true and becomes and is our reality. That is significant. So what does that mean then, church? What does that look like for us? How do we live that out? What does it look like for us to be a people of holy overlap where the kingdom of God is experienced here and now, even in our brokenness? In large part, to live an overlap life means to live a both and life. It means to embrace a both and mindset and not an either or mindset. Especially when we think of the life of Jesus, his whole life is a list of both ands. It's just over and over and over. Jesus was fully human and fully divine. He's the lion and the lamb. He's the alpha and the omega. He's full of grace and truth. He's described as the Prince of Peace, but Revelation tells us he also wielded a sword. He's the one who says, come and die to me, and then you'll truly live. He taught us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, over and over and over. He was the Messiah and friend of sinners. The list goes on. So what does that mean for you and I? How do we live this holy overlap here and now? Here's some things for us to consider. Number one, the both and life, the overlap life, means you and I as Christians defy category. I wanna ask you for a second, how would you say that you are categorized in this world? As Jesus followers, we do not fit nice and neat into any earthly category. If we do fit into a earthly category, and that category fully describes who we are, we probably worship that category rather than Jesus. For example, if all of who I am can be described as being an American, or a Republican, or a Democrat, or if all of who I am can be summarized by saying I'm a dad, or I'm a CEO, or I'm a teacher, then most likely any one of those things is more important in my life than Jesus. Because there's no one human category that fully captures who we are as Christ followers. Of course we can be Christians who love America, but Jesus still has to be number one and our allegiance to Jesus still has to be number one. Of course we can love our families or our jobs, but Jesus still has to be number one. Our top allegiance still has to be to Jesus as number one. 
Because anytime a nationality, a political posture, uh, our sexuality, our age, our occupation, anytime any one of those things fully defines who we are, we have entered into either or living and not both and living. And Jesus invites us into both and. Both and living also means that we love people like us and people not like us. This one's hard, especially right now. I'm not sure how it's happened over time. I don't know how it's occurred where to now say, I disagree with you, or to say, I see things differently than you, somehow translates into, I don't like you, or you are my enemy. We have to get over this church. We serve the one who said to love your enemies. Sometimes we can't even get along with other Christians, other people in the kingdom, let alone our enemies. One of the defining marks of the early Christians is that there was something attractive about them by the very nature that they were a both and people. So historically, the fact that the richest in society and the most broken in society could coexist in harmony under the same umbrella of the kingdom of God, that was attractive to the rest of the world because they had never seen such different socioeconomic groups come together. To be a both and people means that we live with and we even love people very different from ourselves. Are we willing to do that, church? Are we willing to even try? In a time of such divisiveness, we can offer a radically different alternative to the world by realizing we're a both and people and that God loves all of us in that regard. And to be a both and people means that we will live in grace and truth. So very often, we fall on one side of the equation or the other. Some of us tend to be grace-only people. When we're, when we're just focused only on grace, then the reality is there are no standards in our lives for holy living. There's a sense of everything goes. We refuse to hold one another accountable or declare that there is truth and absolute truth that exists. If only grace was needed, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross for our sins? There are things in this world that are not okay. There are things in this world that are not right. An all-grace approach can turn a blind eye to what is true and good out of fear of standing up for the truth. At the same time, some of us tend to fall on the all-truth side. We see everything literally only in black or white terms, left or right terms, and there's no room for gray. And yet this, this focus on truth without any sense of grace often leads to judgmental hearts and self-righteousness. An all-truth focus leaves no room for making mistakes. It leaves no room from learning from the errors of our ways. An all-truth focus fails to recognize that we all make mistakes and we all need grace at some point in our life. See, the answer is not either or, it's both and. Grace and truth. Some of us have been searching for something of substance, something real, something to hold on to. Some of us desire to know right from wrong. Some of us desire to experience the glory and the holiness of God and to know there's something greater beyond ourselves. 
And again, this desire to experience the glory that comes from with outside of us, a glory greater than we conceive, can conceive. If that is you, then you need truth. Receive it here, today. And some of us have messed up big time. We are so filled with shame. We think there's no way you could love us, God. There's no way you can redeem us or restore us, God. We think that we're alone. We think we've been shunned. We think that nobody will welcome them among us. We think that there are marks in our life that we can't get rid of and that this shame will define us forever. Some of us think there's no way that there's someone who could love me after what I've done. If that is you, then you need grace. Receive it here today. We are a people of grace and truth because we serve a savior of grace and truth. And how wonderful today that Jesus offers both. The world needs a church of grace and truth as we serve a savior of grace and truth. Realize today that God's justice and God's love are stronger than the evil forces of this world. Both and people have the courage to stand up to injustice and not seek to attack from a might makes right perspective. Both and people learn to be kind without watering down the truth or watering down grace into niceness. And both and people learn to live in the holy overlap between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And church today, I invite us to be such a people. Let us be a people who defy category, who love those not like us, and who offer grace and truth. Let us be a people formed in the holy overlap of Jesus Christ, where the kingdom of God exists in the kingdom of this world, and something different is offered, that which this world is ultimately seeking, even when they don't know it. Let us be a people of grace and truth. Do something this week that reminds you to live into the holy overlap. Make a choice to not say anything negative on Facebook. Make a choice to have a conversation with somebody just very, very different than you. Engage a practice that brings you into the holy overlap with Jesus Christ himself. Church today, let me invite you to do this. If you'll take your hands wherever you are and just do this. Know that we are a people of grace and truth. Know that we serve a God of grace and truth. And may this holy overlap form all that we do as the people of God in this world. As a people of grace, let us pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.